The subject for the evening talk is aloneness. When we look at life and our life included, we could say of it that it's life is very full. And that fullness shows itself through the immediacy of the events of the, the five sense doors, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and also in what we call our inner life, our feelings, our thoughts, our moods, our states of mind, whether shallow or deep. And all of this makes up and constitutes what we call life and the world constantly unfolding and revealing itself, in which something, as it were, is going on rapidly or very subtly in any given moment. So the whole sense and experience of life could be seen as being extraordinarily full. Earth, air, heat, water, space, consciousness, mental states. There's this pervasive fullness as far as the eyes can see, as the, as the mind and heart can go. And sometimes in our humanity, we forget this. We forget it at rather great personal cost. And we forget it in such a way that we think in terms of what's missing what's missing from life, what's missing from our life. And we also, with the various skills and qualities that we have, we look around the world and we see that others report to us of what's missing from their life. And there's the world with its seeming fullness, <coughs> and yet there's a world which seems to be lacking sometimes inwardly and outwardly. And it all, in a kind of mysterious way, expresses the sheer diversity of it. Sometimes we say we want to look at the way things are, what's actually showing itself to us. We want to be as true to that as possible. We don't want to be concerned with what's lacking, but we want to be more concerned with what actually is and have our faith therein, instead of constantly dwelling on the missing, the absence of. And we see that this shows itself, this seemingly something missing, in varieties of different situations in our life. One of them can be with our recollection of a communication, a conversation. And you may have noticed in your uh, hours here, there's the recollection of some communication that you have or had with somebody who's of importance to you. And there's been a transference of information and feelings and concerns. And all of that left some residue of impression. And one starts recalling that, that event. It just starts occurring in this situation. And quite often we notice that there's a, this kind of admixture of memory. We recall some of the 
as it were, facts of what took place. He or she said this to me, and I said this to him or her or they. And there's some recollection of the, of the what is of that situation. But how often and how very easily, it's not just the bare association, as it were, with what is, but it's also what wasn't. And sometimes the what wasn't begins to overshadow the what is, the bare facts. And sometimes we notice that we don't really want to recall intimately and directly what took place because we've got this shadow, this kind of agenda that's taken place in the memory which says, I should have said that, or I shouldn't have said that. And there was either too much or too little, and we want to add or subtract from the what is. So there's, as it were, we might say, the truth of what took place, the keeping with a sense of honesty, which is always a, an incredible challenge for us, to keep a state of honesty with what actually was, and to see whether or not, by involvement in the too much or the too little, the exaggeration or the absenteeism, how that erodes the truth of what is, or in this case, the truth of what was. And sometimes it takes quite some resolution and determination for us to see the fullness of what took place, and not just to keep harping on inside of ourselves with regard to what we think was missing. Because if we live in the polarity of what we think is missing, what we think is lacking, truth and trust, truth and peace of mind, truth and awareness, suffer in the absenteeisms. And one finds in oneself this unenviable and wretched conflict taking place between what's actually happening and the imaginings, the, the uh, a desire to put more information in or take it out. And sometimes it's not easy in facing the truth of ourselves to be able to say to ourselves, yes, this took place, yes, I said this, Yes, he, she said that to me. Yes, I did this. That's living with the truth. And, and even though sometimes it's hard and we just don't want to acknowledge that, sometimes we can find that living with the truth, even though it can be extraordinarily disturbing our emotional life, there's some kind of integrity or quality which accompanies it. And sometimes living in the truth in that way reveals to us a certain aloneness of bearing the truth. In other situations, with aloneness, which I think is genuinely one of the most profound of life experiences and with our aloneness, we have an opportunity to touch very deeply with aloneness. That last uh, week before coming here, when uh, Eric Henrietta and I 
were in um, uh, Barry, Massachusetts, at the center there. One evening, I gave a talk on a poet that I love dearly, and many of you do, I'm, I'm sure, and that is Rilke. And I chose two or three passages from some of the uh, writings, the uh, books called Love and Other Difficulties. I think sometimes it highlights the difficulties more, but however. And in that, Rilke speaks and makes a wonderful statement, I think which we can all hopefully take to heart. And he said, in relationship, oneself in relationship to the world of our senses, to, in this case to who we see and hear and sometimes smell and taste and touch, in the world of those intimacies that one human being has with another human being, he says the true bonding, the true bonding of love is that each person, he says, quote-unquote, is a guardian of the other's solitude. Each person guards the aloneness of the other. I think it's a very beautiful statement to make, and I'd like to uh, um, explore that a little bit further with you. So in the world that touches us, in this fullness of things, which, which reveals itself in its multifaced way, in our eyes and our, our ears, there is a movement which takes place inside of us, which responds to what's happening around us. And at different points in our life, you and I have been touched by the circumstances of others. And in that being touched in the circumstances, as it were, we are prepared and willing to leave, as it were, ourselves, to leave our aloneness, we might say, in order to respond to that human being, either in the intimate forms of which we are familiar with, or through some kind of a friendship or capacity, professional capacity, and we find ourselves reaching out in the fullness of things towards another or others and through that we find ourselves, we find our identity, we find our person in that communication, in that relationship, short or long as it may be. Sometimes with the movement which takes place too, in our humanity there is also expectation. There's also the wish to receive something from that person in the reciprocalness. I come out of myself towards you, whoever you are, and in some way I expect you, I invite you to come out of yourself towards me. And in that movement between two people or a group of people, there appears to be an opportunity for communication, for people connecting. But sometimes, as we see, sometimes the connecting that takes place can be at the expense of one's aloneness. And sometimes that movement that goes from inside to outside, the very movement itself is a way of not being with our aloneness. We want the other. We want the person, others, to give us that affirmation that we exist 
as it were, exclusively in the relationship to him, her, or them. An extraordinary thing with that movement is that the movement itself to another can genuinely be coming from a place of real kindness, can become from a real state of thoughtfulness. But for spiritual life, for awakening, for liberation, this kindness of reaching out towards another, if it's at the expense of understanding aloneness, means that we have missed the whole heart of spiritual life. I had a phone call from a friend, and this friend told me that she had been for some months in a uh, relationship. And the two were reaching out to each other. But she found, and it's not unusual of course, that the partners reaching out was too much, overwhelming, overpowering. And in that movement of reaching, reaching out, she said to me that in the days and the time with him, he was constantly saying, let's do this, let's go here together, let's go there together. If she was in his apartment or her apartment, he would say, I'll cook, I'll clean, I'll do the, go to the supermarket. And there was a constant wish on his part, in his reaching out, to be with her as frequently as possible. And at first she said, I loved it. Love that someone could have me so much as the centre of his life. There's something really which appealed to me and it really, really touched me. And nobody in years before had ever given me so much attention. And I could feel the, 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 the pleasure of it. But gradually, she said, as the days, months went by, she began to notice the resistance taking place. She began to notice when the phone ring, and he would say, well, what should we do tonight? What should we do this weekend? She felt this shadow of kindness. And when she was speaking, telling the story, she said it was got such, to such a degree, she said it was like this, and she put her hands to her throat. And she finished. So in the message which I received, several months after this took place, she's just received a, a box, a cardboard box. And in the cardboard box is every letter that she sent, during the time they were together, every gift that she made, every shared thing, all was put into a box and sent back to her. So in our kindness, and sometimes the kindness with dependency, the kindness with one wanting which takes place, even the kindness itself without that, if there isn't wisdom, if there isn't the exploration of our aloneness in life, we wonder whether we are being a friend to another.
Sometimes in the fullness of things, which we, as I mentioned, we forget, and we forget terribly frequently, we position, we start off, and I've mentioned this in previous talks, we start off with some sense of absence, whatever that strange state is. And we find that we focus our mind and we want to direct it in a particular way, a particular avenue, so that absence gets negated. We can't see, we can't feel the fullness of all the feelings, of all the thoughts and images, because the absence seems to be the reality of our situation. And our life is a constant effort to overcome absence, overcome the lack. And the Buddha said, on this problem of humanity, this sense of unfulfillment, not being able to see the fulfillment through the immediacy, this problem, he said, is so strong with humanity, he said, that more tears have been given, have been let out of human beings, more tears over this sense of unfulfillment in life than, than water in the great oceans. In the reaching out, with the, with the kindnesses of the reaching out that take place, the very reaching out, the movement out towards another, is to the same degree a movement away from our aloneness. And what you and I experience in the reaching out and the moving out, the attention going towards, is that at some point, in that, no matter how kind, generous, warm, friendly it might be, at some point the mind can only reach out in its limited capacity and then has to come the break. There has to be resistance. There has to be a state of mind which says, I cannot reach out any further, it has to stop. I have to stop this, I have to take care of myself because of all this outgoingness in the guise and sometimes disguise of kindness, of skill. And so we find that we reach a level. Sometimes in the level which we reach at that point where we're not sure whether we can go on any further reaching out, at that point, there's a certain tension or a resistance or a state of being there. And in that state, we then start looking around to skirt round it. How far are others reaching out? How are others coping? How are they dealing in their kindnesses, their compassions, their, their skill? And we start comparing ourselves favorably or unfavorably. But one thing we know, there's a point of reaching out and that point has gone from, yes, I reach out, no, I am not reaching out anymore, it has to stop, I don't want to hear anything, see anything, I don't want to know 
Just observe the state of mind when you pick up your answering machine at home, when the next client comes through your door, when the next letter comes in, when the next request comes to you, when the next invitation comes to you. And yet we ask ourselves, we put this burden, this onus of ourselves, and we think that's what the good life is, reaching out for other people. And I say reaching out invites reaching back. It's the invitation to a state of withdrawal. And so one hears again on retreats, I need to take care of myself. I need to look after myself. I need to nourish myself. I need to renew myself. It's just another way of saying, I'm feeling exhausted. I'm feeling an absence of. I'm feeling a lack of. And I need something to fill up that lack which excludes other people. And our whole life can be the oscillation between going out, point of resistance, turning back. And we go up and down that spectrum again and again, and sometimes we wonder, why am I living like this? Why am I just running up and down this line my whole life trying to satisfy other people, trying to satisfy myself, dealing with my resistance, satisfying others, satisfying myself? Where is the wisdom in our living like this? True love, says Rilke, is such that we are the guardians of each other's solitude. Sometimes, as in a situation here, there isn't much request to reach out. The various skills and capacities and roles that you have are not necessary. But sometimes, quite understandably, such as in the inquiry evenings, as one of two people have mentioned, and just the listening, the birth of the professional takes place. One hears through the ears of the skill, but understandably, there is the reminder, I have to hear this with my clients, morning, noon and night. I need the space from having to lend an ear on the suffering, on the difficulties. So sometimes the resistance in the moment, like a flash, is straight back because the potency of the memory has stepped in and says, I can't listen. I can't experience fullness. I need to keep out. Very understandable. But in my need to keep out, in my trying to take, as it were, the fullness out of things, in the action of doing that, I am left with something missing. And I live out of my something missing, something which is absent. And I forget, hey, seeing is full, listening is full, smelling is full, tasting is full, experiencing is full, feelings, thoughts, ideas, whatever the composition. How can we add a drop to it? then we begin to wonder. Then we begin to allow ourselves to raise that, that voice of doubt, 
the voice of doubt which comes in and say, maybe I don't have to live reaching out and trying to renew myself and going up and up and down that pendulum. Maybe there is some radical, fresh, liberating alternative to, to this which has not a trace of resistance nor denial to it. Utterly different from the way I think about things. And if we do, we have some... Uh, want to explore that, find our liberation, our awakening, then we have some questioning to do have some real looking at ourselves to do, because that way just doesn't work. It doesn't work for oneself and it doesn't work for others either. So sometimes in the meditative processes, in these contemplative awarenesses you and I engage in through the day, there's not too much invitation for the reaching out and there is some encouragement to look inside, to really look within. In that willingness to be, in that looking in mode, looking in, inside of ourselves, all those capacities and skills in the personal life, in the professional life, in the, in the social life, don't really have any relevance or meaning for us here. We hardly know anybody here and even more, we can hardly do anything for anybody here. And if we try, they say, shove off. <laughs> I'm meditating. <laughs> so in that, there's a certain kind of space around and with each other. And in that space with around and with each other, there's a certain uh, aloneness about it. And sometimes in that aloneness, and when we've, we're truly tired, of the moving out, the reaching out, then certain other feelings and sensations sometimes begin to percolate into our consciousness. A certain sometimes for some it's a certain kind of um, unease which is taking place. An unease because our identity and our self and all the ideas of who we think we are seems to be related to movement. Going out to, coming back to. And it seems that who I am is integrally re related to the movement. And sometimes when that formation is not so active and you experience just being here in your alo aloneness, sometimes the inner feeling is very uncomfortable, distinctly uncomfortable, because one hasn't got a clearly defined sense of who I am and what I am and what am I doing and what my purpose is in life. And perhaps in the quietness and the depth of our, of our being and in the depth of our feelings which take place, there's a certain kind of aloneness and there's a certain intimation of it in which the world cannot be a friend to us, in which the world itself is in its fullness and in its diversity is going on. We're, of course we're part of it, we're intricately related, but there's some sense of our aloneness. 
Sometimes that aloneness comes to us, sometimes in those moments when we are close to death. And it's not anybody else who is dying, no matter what information that you and I might have. We're in that time and there's a, a, a depth of aloneness which sometimes in meditation we barely touch upon. And it seems, and in, sometimes in that, in that aloneness, it seems we're terribly distant and terribly removed from that world of that fullness. Because the aloneness is, is, is there, and in that there's huge space between that aloneness and that sensory contact, who you see and what you see and what you do. Sometimes in the meditation hall, in the night hours, in the middle of the night, when you wake up and you're full of, full of energy and there's nothing going on and most a faint hum of the universe and one is there in one's aloneness or in a walking, walking time and it seems everything else is far removed from our, from our state of being. And because sometimes it's unformed and unshaped and somewhat indecisive in that, not surprisingly we want to say to ourselves, we want to reach out, we want to say, let me reconnect. Let me do something to affirm myself, to give myself a formation through the contact, through the communication. And I think if we do that, we might be missing an extraordinary opportunity for the withering away of self. And it's an extraordinary thing when we're just touching those deeper places inside our being there, of that sen sense of aloneness, that the thought which will often accompany that is that feeling of distance from. And it seems to be the truth, but the tr that truth is based on the old memory that aloneness is unacceptable for us, reaching out is the cure for it. So the memory will come in and say, there's a gap, there's a distance. Can we just ignore it? Stay with that aloneness, not bother with it, with that movement which says reach out, connect. Hang in with it. But sometimes the response to aloneness is not so much in uncomfort and discomfort and nervousness and agitation. It comes from another kind of memory. And that memory which comes in is like when you've had an incredibly full day, you've been very, very busy and very, very involved, and you've just been out there doing, doing, doing for others in some form, and then you've got home and it's stopped, and you're just on your own. And the appreciation, the feelings of uh, delight, satisfaction, contentment, it's over. And one just feels the aloneness. And one is grateful that all of that reaching out has finished. And one can just be alone and be still and be quiet and do nothing. So the responses to the aloneness can vary from nervousness, discomfort, an unformed sense of things, or the response to it can be delight, satisfaction, both requiring memory. Let's not the pleasant or the unpleasantness of our aloneness
be the shadow of our aloneness. Otherwise we get embroiled in the sensation and we forget the existential nature of it. To be, feel utterly alone in the world. And sometimes in that, in that aloneness that takes place, everything which appeared to be formed, who we are, what we are, where we're from, what we're doing, seems to be pushed out almost to the periphery of our consciousness. And it doesn't matter, just as I say, like if we are dying, what does all that knowledge and information, it doesn't seem to matter too much to us. There's just a state of aloneness there. And that aloneness is this dying of ego and is much the same way as dying of bodily life. Can we hang in with it? Can we acknowledge the ranges of pleasant and unpleasant sensations which arise? Let me feel what it is to be a, an alone human being on the earth. And still even in that, even in that, still the world is still as full as ever it was. Whether we're in the cave or in the jungle or in the, the monastery or in the convent, in the retreat centre or in the city or in the countryside, it's still the world is still as full with its sights and its sounds, its smells, its tastes, its touch and its, and its contact. Yet in all of that, this aloneness is present amidst all of it. What would it be to live in aloneness? What would it mean for us in our life? What would it mean to live in a way which uh, there's barely a trace of reaching out? Therefore no resistance, no withdrawal, no feeling of emptiness and something missing and the need for renewal. The fullness of things keeps revealing itself to us. And that fullness of things which keeps revealing itself includes absence. Includes the acknowledgement this could be like this and that could be like that. But even in the absence and in the addressing that absence in the many ways that we do the details of life, it doesn't seem to make any difference to the the infinity of everything, the very absence of things, is a revelation of the infinity of it all. But one has been true to what is, remaining true to the actuality in such a way that a little bit change here, a little bit change there, doesn't make a scrap of difference to it all. Because we know what is, and we have seen that absenteeism is a melting snowflake. 
Then you wonder, but there is suffering in this world. There are truly human needs taking place. Truly pain, truly ways with my friends and my family and my work and my life, I can respond to that. Surely it, the, it behoves a new human being to reach out and therefore face the unwillingness to reach out at times and withdraw. Surely that, that's the price I pay for my concerns for the welfare of other people. I wonder what it would be to be in our own emptiness. To really realize our aloneness and our, and our emptiness. Our emptiness of form, our emptiness of substance, our emptiness of identity. I wonder what it would be to be guardians of our own solitude. I wonder if we, you and I can have the trust in our inner emptiness. A trust which we see what emerges out of it. And that the old models, the old pattern, the old way of thinking, of going out to and coming back to, even the old way of thinking which says, not so much I going out to, but he, she, they coming to me, with all the apparent blessings of someone coming to me, someone who needs me, someone who gets something from me. That that idea that that's actually happening in this world, in our emptiness, perhaps reveals that's not true at all. And nobody is going, really going out to anybody, and nobody is really, none of us are really going out to anybody either. I wonder if we dare allow ourselves to question that, to look, look at that world. And perhaps in our emptiness, in our wonder, and sometimes at some points the difficulties of our emptiness, perhaps events are taking place, expressions of life are showing themselves, there's a responding to those expressions of life. There's a guardian, a guarding of the solitude. And the sense of somebody coming to us and needing us doesn't have any truth to it. Seems like an idea in the ether. Or the idea, I am going out to do this for somebody else. That seems so unrealistic. Doesn't seem to have any substance, any truth to it, because one has touched one's aloneness. Knows the emptiness of it. And so people will say of us, well, whoever we are, we are serving others, we are doing things for others, we're being a good friend to others, or whatever, and we're doing something. But I think our, 
our emptiness, our seeing through substance of forms and these ideas is just social myth. Everybody's conversational point. And that's in a remarkable way. There's a kind of turnaround for us. A turnaround which tends to say, if we are alone, if we are guardians of our aloneness, we're not really doing anything for anybody because we're so intent on guarding our aloneness. And then if we don't guard our aloneness, then we can do some kind things for the world. And I would say that's ordinary thinking. That's the everyday mind which thinks that's the case. But I say in our freedom and in our awakening and liberation, in our aloneness, everything is possible. In our aloneness, every act of a kindness can emerge. In our emptiness, things take place. And not, we lose our aloneness to do others, for others. Our aloneness is the great act of kindness. And thus the fullness of things keeps showing itself. The days of the notions of resistance and things to overcome, all that seems to be, like the Buddha said, lines on the water, lines drawn on the water. So let's explore our liberation, our awakening, our immediate freedom to an indivisible wisdom in which there's neither reaching out nor withdrawing, nor lines of division. And there's just some infinite emergence. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings dwell with wonder. Let's have our two or three quiet minutes together, shall we please?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.